If you would, take your Bibles and turn back to John's Gospel. Chapter 15 to start with. I don't know if you were told this growing up as a young person, but I was so many times. My parents, my youth pastor, heard it from the pulpit. Um, Lots of people would say something similar that I'm going to start by telling you this morning. And that is, tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. And some of you have had to live that out. You made some poor choices of friendships growing up and led you down roads you didn't want to go. Someone added to that phrase, choose your friends, don't let them choose you. In other words, you need to be careful that you make the right choices when you make friendships. And those statements um, that stuck with me all those years are really just statements about the power and influence of friendships. And they can change your life, there's no doubt about it. I have seen teenagers, I have seen young adults... Um, I've seen mature adults married with family have made choices about friendships, and I've seen those choices ruin families, marriages, relationships, and lives. The Gospels um, have a lot to say about friendship, Um, all kinds of friends. I I did a survey real quickly of all the Gospel references to the word friend or friends. And Matthew's gospel talks about Jesus. He got in trouble for being friend, uh, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think that was a, something someone said about him. I'm not sure it was to be something seemed positive, but that's what he was. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by definition, that means he had table fellowship with them. When you sat and had a meal with someone in, in New Testament times, you accepted them, you welcomed them, you were okay with being around them, and Jesus did that. Friend was something you called someone when you greeted them and you hadn't seen them for a while. I mean, in Matthew's Gospel, it, it even talks about someone who's close to you um, relationally. Even, believe it or not, crazy enough that Judas comes to have the soldiers arrest Jesus, and Jesus says, why have you come? And then he says to Judas, of all people, friend, friend. Mark's gospel only has one time it's used, the word friend. It's 519. When Jesus casts out the demon of the demonized man of Gadara, he says, go home and tell your friends all the great things God has done for you. So people who are your friends are the ones that you share your your best news, your life-changing news with. Luke's gospel has more references to friend than any other ones. Um, it talks about all the normal ones of being friend of tax collector and sinner. He tells the story, Jesus, of the friend who comes at midnight and knocks on your door and needs things. And of course, because he's your friend, you supply their needs. And he says, when you have a banquet, don't invite your friends because that's what you would normally do. So friends are people that you meet their needs, even if it's inconvenient. Friends are people that you want to celebrate, you want to have a party Um, They're the people that you invite because you enjoy being around them. And Jesus goes on to say in the three parables of lostness, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, that every time the lost thing is found, everyone says, go grab all your friends. Bring all my friends in here because we're going to celebrate. So uh, momentous family changes. You want to be around your friends and be with them. Jesus said, believe it or not, that in the end times, that even your friends... People that you thought were close to you, they're going to deliver you up because of your love for him. But when it comes to John's gospel, 
and he talks about friendship, it seems to take or move things up a notch or a level. It, it, it really only has a few references to friend and friendship, but they are all about commitment. Not about a casual friendship or someone that you'd say was your friend that you talk to once in a while or you knew a long time ago or you see and do something with occasionally. But when John talks about friendship, he puts it in a different context. John 3 talks about John the baptizer speaking of Jesus and saying, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I mean, a very serious occasion. Close friends are in weddings, right? And John said, that's who I, I am a friend of the bridegroom and, and Jesus is my friend. Jesus said, let us go to Bethany because our friend Lazarus, and he talks about Lazarus dying. And Lazarus was his friend. He stayed at their house. He was close to them, very close to them. And then it comes to the last two times in John's gospel that I want to bring to you today. And it's a contrast of friendships. One is going to tell us, what does it mean to be the friend of Jesus? The last one in chapter 19 is going to tell us on the other side, what does it mean to be a friend of Caesar? So what John does in these last two paragraphs that I've read to you today is put before us a contrasting choice. It's really two choices of friendship in two passages And to lay it out before you so you know how clear the choice is, it's going to be between two very different kings. Jesus says he's a king. Caesar says he's king. But you're going to find out if you don't know already that these two kings have radically polar opposite kingdoms. And when they say king and what their kingdom is about, it is very, very different from one another. Can I tell you how different... In our text, in in the context, if you look at chapter 18 and the verses that proceed and lead right up to our text in chapter 19, and by that particularly I mean verse 33 of chapter 18, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? And so Jesus answered, to you, I'm sorry, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And then Jesus gives his explanation of what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he has. Because it's going to be directly in opposition to Caesar's, which is what Pilate is familiar with. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. So what the main properties or qualities of Jesus's kingdom would not be things that you have here. Pilate would have Caesar as his king, and that would be an earthly kingdom, and they have different qualities, different features. That's the word I'm going to use today. And Jesus says, here's the features of my kingdom, he says. If my kingdom was of this world, like Caesar's, here's what I would do. My servants would have been fighting. In other words, you wouldn't have been able to get me so easily and walk right up and take me out of the garden. You wouldn't be able to do that because I would have fought you. So here's the mark about Jesus' kingdom. Caesar's is a violent kingdom that rules by force. Jesus is a nonviolent kingdom that does not rule by force. You see, the symbol for Jesus' kingdom is a cross. For, I mean, for Jesus, it's a cross. For Caesar, it's a crown, and more importantly, probably a sword. Big difference. One rules by relativism, by whatever suits their agenda and achieves their purposes. 
And in the conversation a little later in this passage, Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? Because Jesus said, if you hear my voice, you are of the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Because he doesn't live by an overall truth. He doesn't live by principle. He lives by whatever keeps him in, in power. So it's a big difference. And, and I say all this to say because we have an election coming up Tuesday, and there's an election within the election. And by that, I mean that Tuesday you get an opportunity to vote for president. But today and every day and for the rest of your life, you get an opportunity to choose who will be your friend. Who will be king in your life? Dr. Howard Hendricks, which was a longtime Dallas Seminary professor, once said, two things will determine where you are 10 years from now. The books you read and the friends you make. And then he said this, Choose them both very carefully. And I would tell you this morning that that's absolutely true. That you need to choose your friends wisely. And the friends that we have this morning laid out in front of us are either being a friend of Christ or a friend of Caesar. And I'm not going to mix any words this morning. I'm going to tell you this. You can't choose both. I'm going to lay them out separately because you must choose separately because you're going to find in our text that to be the friend of Caesar is not to be the friend of Jesus and to be the friend of Jesus is not to be the friend of Caesar. Let me prove that and show that to you by marking off the features of what it means to be Jesus' friend. If you would, back to chapter 15 in verses 12 through 17. Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In chapter 13, they were in having the Last Supper together. They have taken leave of the upper room, and they're walking now, and they're headed toward the Kidron Valley, which is out the main eastern gate up the hill of the Mount of Olives. And they're on their way there, and Jesus stops because, or as they're walking, he wants to give them what I call his manifesto on friendship. He wants them to know that they are his friends and as king of their lives, what that friendship means. And if you're not familiar with it and you are a friend of Jesus today and you call him king, you may be greatly astounded by some of the things that that entails. So let me lay them out to you one at a time. First feature of being a friend of Jesus and having him be king is sacrificial love. If you would look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. See, Jesus wants to tell you, here's the mark of being my friend. My friends know how I love them, hear me, and how that love is to be shared with all my friends. So when you're the friend of Jesus, he loves you sacrificially, and hear me, and he expects you to love his friends sacrificially. He says, this kind of love, this sacrificial love, there is no greater love than this. You can have all kinds of loves, romantic love, love. He says, but there's no greater love than this. And and he says it that way, that someone would lay down his life for his friend. The word friend in Greek is philos, the word that we get Philadelphia from. And it literally means one who is loved. So Jesus says, here's what it means to be my friend. I don't just call you friend, I live it out. And the way that I talk to you and the way that I treat you. He says, I would love you so much and when you're my friend, I'd go so far to love you as I would, here's his phrase, and I would lay down my life for you. 
Five times outside of this passage, John's gospel emphasizes laying down your life. I think you're familiar with the first three I want to talk to you about or draw your attention to, and that's in the Good Shepherd discourse of John 10. Listen to Jesus talk about this a little earlier. John 10, 15, Jesus says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says that I'm going to lay down my life for you. You're my friend. You're my sheep. I take care of you. Chapter 10 and verse 17. And that says, for this reason, the father loves me. Why does he love him so? Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And a third time in verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received from my Father. Now, hold on. You go back to our text in chapter 19. Remember what Pilate says to Jesus? He's saying, Jesus, who are you? Where are you from? And he doesn't answer him. Remember this? And Pilate says, you're not going to talk to me? I have the power or authority to have you released and have you crucified. Remember when he said that? What does Jesus say? You have no power over me. What does he say? Why is Jesus laying down his life? Not because Pilate is going to take it. No, that's not the kind of love. Jesus wasn't a martyr for a good cause. Pilate didn't kill Jesus, quote unquote. That's not the primary how it happened. Here's what he says. I laid down my life. I have the authority. My father gave me the authority. Pilate, you have no authority in my life or in my death. So what is Jesus' love like? It is a willing, voluntary, sacrificial love that is willing to lay down everything and to be crucified for a friend. Jesus says there is no greater love than this. Peter, probably remembering these words, tells Jesus on the night before he would be crucified, in chapter 13, there are two other uses. And they're in verses 37 and 38. And Peter's talking with Jesus. And he says, Peter says to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? Listen to what Peter says. I will lay down my life for you. Next verse says, Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? See, Peter gets it. Peter knows that to be the friend of Jesus is to be loved by Jesus and and loved in such a sacrificial way that Jesus said he would lay down. So you know what Peter feels as the number one disciple? That if Jesus loves me and would lay down his life for me, I want him to know that I love you back the same way. Jesus, you're the greatest friend I could ever have. You would die for me? I would die for you. And you you know what Jesus says? No, you won't. You won't. Because our friendship isn't like that, not on your part yet. It is true that I would die for you, but you won't die for me. Peter, later on in his epistle, perhaps remembering this very conversation, tells his people that he's writing to all these years later, 1 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, he tells, here's what the most important thing is, above all, he says, keep loving each other earnestly. Same word used in chapter 1 and verse 22 where he says to love one another earnestly. He says, since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's what he says. You know what I learned from Jesus? That he loved me sacrificially, but I didn't love him back. But he still loved me. See, 
That's what it means to be the friend of Jesus, is to be loved sacrificially when you aren't willing to love him back in the same way. And here's what Jesus says, and that's exactly what I want you to do for each other. John, who wrote the verses that we're talking about, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he never got over Jesus' love either. You know what? Five times from the Passion uh, narrative, chapter 13 to the end, you know what he calls himself never by name? He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, John can never get over this sacrificial love that Jesus had for him. So let me say it to you straight. When Jesus is your friend, you are loved in a way that you've never been loved before. And you are enabled to love others like they've never been loved before. See? See, to know Jesus as your friend is not only to have this amazing sacrificial that love that he has for you, that he died for you. And here's what he says. And if you're my friend, now you have that same love in you. And that's how I expect you to love each other in sacrificial ways. Even like I loved you, Peter, when you failed me and denied me and, and you pledged that you would sacrifice for me, but you didn't. Remember when I loved you and in John 21, I restored you on the beach. What did Jesus say to Peter? Do you really love me? Three times. Do you really love me? And the answer is no. You really don't, but I still love you back. See, that's what you get when you choose to be the friend of Jesus. You get a sacrificial love that changes your life to the point where you are able to love other people the way that Jesus has loved you. That's the first feature, sacrificial love. The second one is this, loyal obedience Verse 14, Jesus says, you know what else it means to be my friend? You are my friends, catch this one, if you do what I command you. That's called conditional friendship. I don't recommend that you try this with other people. How would you like it if I came up to you and said, hey, you know what? I really like to be your friend. I like you to be my friend. You say, really? Oh, I want to be your friend too. I go, okay, you only have to do one thing. Do everything, everything I tell you. You just do whatever I tell you. Hey, if I want Mountain Dew, you bring it to me, right? If I, I want to borrow your car, I don't care what you got going on, I'm going to borrow your car. You know, I need some money, you're going to, do, you're going to give me it. You'd say, well, what kind of friendship is that? Well, it wouldn't be much of a friendship at all if the condition was what? You doing stuff for me. But can I tell you this? Jesus says, if you do what I command you, then you can be my friend. And what does he commit? He's not asking you so much to do things for him, but do things like him. If you read scripture in John's gospel itself and throughout the epistle of 1 John, which is written by the same author, you'll find that the commandment Jesus is referring to when he says, hey, you can be my friend if you keep my commands. You know what his command is? His main command is? He says it so many times. Chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 John 2, 7 and 8. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, and you should love one another. He says, which this love is in you. It's true in him and in you. See what he says? This commandment, this love he's asking you to do, it's true in him and you. It's not just in him toward you. No, it's in you toward others. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment, Jesus's. You know what it is? 
that you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. 1 John 4, 21, and this is the commandment we have from him. This is his commandment. You know what it is? <coughs> Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is Jesus' condition for friendship. If you want to love Jesus, then you love others. So let me phrase it to you this way. You can't hate his friends and be his friend. You can't. You can't hate his friends and be his friends. You can't love God on Sunday and hate others on Monday. You can't bless God and then turn around, as James would say, and curse others who are made in his image. You can't talk to God to his face and then turn around and talk to others behind their back. See, it doesn't work that way. And the reason is because the condition for being the friend of Jesus is to love others like he's loved you. So those two features, sacrificial love, loyal obedience, are followed by and result in the third one, which Jesus gives to us in verses 15 and 16, and I call intimate knowledge. He says, no longer do I call you servants, and that's the word for slaves. In other words, you're not just a slave in my house, and and I just tell you stuff and you do it. No, he goes, I don't call you that anymore, for servants don't know what the master is doing. In other words, the master doesn't tell his slaves what he's up to and what his plans are and what he's trying to do. He doesn't have conversations that personal with a slave. But, Jesus says, I don't call you that because that's not who you are. But I have called you, in contrast, I have called you friends. For all that my father has told me, I have, here's the word, made known to you, See, it's a revelation term. It means that Jesus talks to us. Have you ever had the privilege? I hope you have, because I have. Have you ever had the privilege of such a close friend, um, best friend, that there's probably nothing or very little that you would never share with that friend? Their friend is so close that they would always keep a secret. They would one who wouldn't blabbermouth everything to everyone else. They would be sympathetic to you. They would also be people who need, you know, tell you what you need to hear when you actually need to hear it. There are people that you can talk to and share your life with that will pray for you, be there for you, have those conversations that you couldn't have with anybody else. See, Jesus says this, that's not what slaves are, but friends. And I've called you friends because everything that I've talked to with my father and all the conversations we've had together, see, I've shared those conversations with you. My father says it's okay for me to tell you all the things that are on his mind. I tell you stuff, Jesus says, that I wouldn't tell anybody else. But here's the great thing about Jesus' friendship. It's not just him telling you stuff. It's not just him talking to you. It's him allowing you to talk back to him. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so what? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name. See, Jesus says, here's the kind of friendship I have. I tell you stuff that we're doing. I tell you what the Father wants. I put you on the mission to accomplish that stuff, and then you can talk to him about it. See, I talk to you, you talk to him, we have a relationship. It's a back and forth thing. It's not just like a master telling you what to do and you can't say anything back and you're not going to ever change his mind. No, nothing like that. Jesus says friendship with me is completely different. 
It's a two-way dialogue. Friends talk together, work for get together. Jesus says, see, when you're my friend, you don't just work for me, you work with me. I've appointed you to this great ministry. You're going to bear fruit. He says, and we're going to do this together, and we're going to talk about it together. I'm going to tell you stuff from my word. You're going to pray back to me, and we're going to work together to accomplish what the Father wants. That's what friendship is. That's what you get with Jesus. And you say, how could that be? How is it possible that God and Jesus would want me to be a friend like that? Well, see, it's not because anything great in you. You can't stick out your chest and say, oh, wow, I'm the friend of Jesus. Look at me. Because verse 16 says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I didn't choose the disciples that I had because you were better than everybody else. I chose you because I'm full of grace and mercy and kindness. Do you get what it means to be the friend of Jesus? The friend of Jesus and all that it entails, the sacrificial love, the love that he gives you to love other people, and all the things that we've talked about, you understand that he gave it to you, not because you're better than anyone else who isn't his friend, but because he chose you. He wanted to lavish his love on you and his grace and his kindness. Well, that's what it means to be the friend of Jesus. But in opposition to that, or contrast to that, is what does it mean to be the friend of Caesar? Well, with Jesus, it's all about the power of love. But with Caesar, it's all about the love of power. If you read our text in chapter 18 and 19, what you'll find them to be filled with is power words, power statements, and power movements. Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers and lanterns and torches and weapons. They don't come with Jesus to arrest him and give him a trial. They came with 300 people, torches and lanterns, weapons. They came to take him. In verse 22 of chapter 18, it says they strike him in the face with their hand. 19.1 says they flog him. They shove a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with rods. And I won't even tell you, I take the time to tell you what it means to be flogged because you'd be grossed out. And then they crucify him naked in public. See, that's what it means to be a friend of Caesar. Friends of Caesar, they favor sovereignty over sacrifice. They're not looking to sacrifice for you. They're willing to have you sacrifice for them. See, Jesus said, you know what I do for my friends? I lay down my life. Caesar, even if you're his friend, will take your life. A very interesting historical article I read this week, archaeologically as well, is that in history, people who were appointed by Caesar as their king to have substantial positions officially, politically, were given a ring. Um, senators in Rome were given it. Uh, governors who ruled different areas of the world, the known world at that time, were given rings. And on the ring was a Latin phrase to everyone who was given this ring by Caesar. And the Latin phrase was amicus Caesaras. And that is Latin for friend of Caesar. And it was one of the highest honors that you could get in the Roman Empire, that if Caesar himself gave you a ring with friend of Caesar on it, he must delight in you, and he was giving you an opportunity to do really well and to bring honor to the kingdom or the, the empire. But if you failed, and there were many who did, including Pilate, 
um, you would have to give back the honor. He would send an envoy and you would have to be brought to him and you would have to, in person, give him the ring back. Giving the ring back would result in you either being exiled outside the Roman Empire, banished to a prison of his choice, or most commonly, you would be executed. And because you were a Roman citizen, you wouldn't be crucified. They would cut your head off as an act of kindness. So now listen to that, knowing that most likely Pilate wore the ring every day on his hand as he looked down and made decisions, and it says, friend of Caesar on it. Listen to what the Jews try to get him to do. 1912 says... If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Let me translate that for you. You're going to have to give the ring back. You're going to have to give the ring back. So you know what? You don't do what we want. We're going to let it be known, and we're going to give reports back to Caesar that you have this guy who claims to be king when only Caesar is king. See, we're going to tell him you're not really loyal to him. You're not doing what he really wants. And that's going to end up in your execution. See, to, do, to be the Jesus' friend or to side with, with Jesus would cost him his life. Pilate's fatal, fatal flaw was his attempt to be both the friend of the Jews and the friend of Caesar at the same time without being the friend of Jesus. See, to be Caesar's friend is to have no other friends, including Jesus, and perhaps, at least in the first century, Jesus most of all. You cannot be both. You cannot choose to be the friend of Caesar, and you cannot be friends of Jesus at the same time. The New Testament says it a lot of different ways. James 4.4 says, Did you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that? He says, You remember Matthew 6, 24, Jesus told his followers, you cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, cling to the one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money, he says. See, for the Jews, and and this is how you know that you're the friend of Caesar, can I tell you? When you make the choice to have Caesar as your friend and not Jesus as your friend, it always leads to other Horrible choices. Always. So the Jews who choose not to have Jesus as their friend and are willing to publicly cry out, we have no king but Caesar, which was blasphemy to them. But they hated Jesus so much that they were willing to compromise all their theological beliefs to get one thing done. That was their own kingdom personal agenda. And you know what else went with that? That when they were given a choice between Jesus and Barabbas, they chose Barabbas. They chose Barabbas and had Jesus crucified. See, when you choose Caesar as your friend, you have also chosen a bunch of other friends that go with that choice. And so you're not just choosing Caesar, you're choosing Barabbas. And you're choosing all that goes with Caesar and Barabbas. Who would have ever thought that the religious leaders would choose Barabbas? Barabbas was basically a first century terrorist. 
He went around, and, and the Bible says he was a robber, but the word Greek word is lestai. He was a revolutionary. He was a guy who plotted to kill Roman soldiers. He would go up in crowds, and he would stick a knife, a curved knife, a Sakari knife. It went around this, in, in their back, and then keep walking. He is a guy who was a murderer. And even the Jewish people hated him. But they chose him. Why? Because when you choose Caesar... You make all kinds of awful choices that go along with it. Pilate didn't choose Jesus either. Not just the Jewish people, but Pilate didn't. He chose to keep the ring on because he couldn't keep the ring on and still follow Jesus and, or, or still choose Jesus too, even though he tried for a while to release him. But you know what happens? Strange text, Luke 23 and verse 12. You know what it says? On the day that they had Jesus crucified, it said this, and Pilate and Herod became friends. Because before it says this very day, they were at enmity with one another. In other words, they couldn't stand each other, but they became political friends on this day. Why? Because Pilate, in choosing Caesar, also chose Herod. If you know anything about Herod, you could say, wow, how could you? <laughs> Who would ever want to be the friend of Herod? But he did. He, became, he used to not like him at all, but now he becomes his buddy. Why? Because when you choose Caesar and not Jesus, you take other people along with it. You make all kinds of other choices. See? Some of us this morning, perhaps, even as God's people, are making serious mistakes by putting your hopes in government more than God. Some of us are choosing to be Caesar's friend, which I mean by that being faithful to your political party. And in doing so, you run the risk of being unfaithful to Jesus and his words. You are running the risk of giving up what is true about his kingdom for what a kingdom that is built on sand. Could it be that your choice of having Caesar as your friend and not Jesus reveals your true kingdom agenda? You see, Caesar's friends have a love of power, and because of that, they are controlled by fear. Pilate couldn't take the ring off, even though Jesus was innocent and he knew it. He was too afraid. One of my favorite movie series is Lord of the Rings. And Sauron makes all of these rings for the elves, the dwarves, humankind. He makes all these rings, and they are rings of power. And somehow over time, all these rings are lost or done away with. But there's one ring left, and it was Sauron's ring, and his was the ring to rule them all. That's the phrase on it. And you get these little hobbits. Everyone else wants the ring, but the hobbits are the ones who are trying to take it to get rid of it. And whether it's Bilbo or Frodo in the story, if you're familiar with it, what you find out is good and kind, as innocent and nice as they are, that's so likable, so much better in some ways than all the other people, that when they put the ring on, it changes them. And the longer they wear it and the more they put it on, the more it controls them. And then the fact is that when someone gets near it, they get all angry and upset because they think someone's going to take the, the ring from them. And their greatest fear is not the loss of their own life, it's that the loss of the ring, that someone might take it from them. I mean, Gollum is the far example of it. He's totally deformed. He's not, you couldn't recognize him as the person he was. In fact, he doesn't even look like a person or a hobbit anymore. He's completely destroyed by it and he calls it his precious because he lives to have the ring 
And, and even Frodo can't get himself to throw it in the lake of fire, and Gollum attacks him and cuts his finger. You know, because he can't let it go. See, Pilate, he, he couldn't take the ring off. He couldn't let it go because the power and the position and what it bought for him and the agenda that went with it, he had bought into it all 100%. Perhaps it's some of God's people. You know what it is today? It's time to take the ring off. It's time to drop it because Jesus' kingdom is not a power over kingdom. It's a power under kingdom. See, for Pilate, the cross meant power. For Jesus, the cross meant love. And you can't have it both ways. Tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. See, the Jewish people, I know what they're about. Because they chose Caesar, and they chose Barabbas with them. I tell you what Pilate's about. I can tell you who he is. You know why? Because he chose Caesar And he also chose Herod along with it. See, tell me who your friends are, and I can tell you who you are. I can tell you if you've chose Caesar, I can tell you this. If you haven't done so already, you're going down roads of compromise. No longer will truth be evident or meaningful to you. Proverbs says, buy the truth and sell it not, and you've already sold it. Because you have to wear the ring. It's time for us as Christians to say, I live in a different kingdom and I serve a different king and I take the ring off and all the choices that go with it because I choose to be the friend of Christ. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, there might be some here today and you would say... I'm not so much the friend of Caesar, but I, I can tell you this. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the friend of Jesus. I'm not the friend of Christ. You see, because you've never come to know him, you've never experienced his sacrificial love when he died on the cross and rose again, when he laid down his life and took it up again for your sins. You've never come to the place where you said, you know what, I believe Jesus is a historical figure. I believe that he said some good things. But to be the son of God, to die in my place, to take my hell, my punishment, my sin, I never recognized that that's what that meant. But I do today. And whether you're watching live stream or you're here in the auditorium this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never bowed the knee and surrendered to his lordship and to him being king, not just over some of your life, not just your eternal destiny someday, but every day, all of your life, in its totality, you can do that today. You can bow the knee. I'll be here after the service. We have others here who can take the scriptures and show you how that King Jesus, who's the only one that forgives sins, can be your Lord and Savior. But perhaps here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and maybe this election is a good time for us to rethink our allegiances. And maybe it's time to say, Pastor Walker, in your heart of hearts, between you and God, you'd have to say this this morning. Tell him, I'm taking the ring off. I'm taking the ring off. I choose the cross of love, not the cross of power. And I choose to not compromise the truth. Because every day, Jesus, I want you to be king of all of my life. I don't want to go down the road of making those other choices. I I, I want you to be king because you are king. 
Would you tell them that? Tell them today I'm taking the ring off. Father, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for the message. I pray that Faith Baptist Church and everyone who calls upon your name, who states that they are followers of you, that we choose Jesus as friend. Because truthfully, for Christians, he's already chose us. He initiated it. It's the only reason we can choose him. It's because he first chose us. Thank you for the lavish love and the manifold mercy that you've showed on us. May it move us to allow you and to make you king of our lives every single day in every single way. And for those who might be here who don't know you as their friend, they've never come to understand your sacrificial love for them through Calvary. Father, would you change them? Would you give them repentance that they might turn from their sin to a savior who is waiting for them for forgiveness? and wants to love them like they've never been loved before. May that be their experience by grace through faith today. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings in Christ's name. Amen.